This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rout. And today we're playing a full-length interview that I did with Ta Mark Solomon, the former Kaifakahide of Naitahu. Mana Fokatipu is the story of Ta Mark Solomon, a Naitahu leader. It's about his life and his remarkable achievements. So kia ora, kia ora. Mark. It's um, a fascinating read. And I, all the way through, I thought this book is written together with Mark Revington, yes. who you've had a long association with. He's edited your tribal um, magazine. But I feel like you're talking to me directly in this book. Um. To be honest, it's a style that I've always fostered. You know, when you have a discussion with people, you need to interact. Um, I mean, an example I'd like to give. A manager at Naito approached me in the early days. He was going to send up a couple of staff to talk to my people in Kaikoura about strategic planning. I said, well, that's good, but I'd like you to come too. But you're just to sit in the audience with me. So he brings two young Naitahu up who had just come out of university and they gave my elders a three-quarter hour lecture on strategic planning. They finished and elder stands up and went, you two, that was the best presentation I've ever had in my life. You have to keep coming back here and bring us old fossils into this new business world that Naitahu is embarking on. But I want to repeat, that has been the best presentation I've ever seen. Now, the ladies have got some food on for you. Away you go. Well, as soon as the door shut, he turns, Righto, lad, what, the, what were they talking about? Translate. And I just turned to the manager, this is why I wanted you to come. When I came into the corporate, I mean, I'm a foundryman. I'd spent 25 years in foundries making metals. Um... Coming into a corporate setting was coming into a foreign land. Every industry has its industry speak. Every industry uses acronyms. And I, in my first six months, I must have driven the boards crazy. Stop. What does that mean in English? Stop. What does that acronym mean? Why don't we just talk to each other? Then we'll be able to follow what everyone's doing. So I like to keep it simple. Yeah, but you like to tell stories too, yes. don't you? Yes. And um, that's what um, gives this book that extra um, appeal or makes it so readable is because all your, when you make a point, you follow it up as you have just now with a lovely story, something that, that illustrates it. Is that part of you or is that part um, of a Maori way of, 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 you know, making things work? Well, I don't know. When I, when I first got the role as the chairman of NATO, never been in a corporate in a sense, and I just thought, well, I'll treat people how I'd like to be treated. And I think it's a pretty simple message. Treat people how you'd like to be treated and things go well. Um, business, it's not just about how much we can make out of it. 
if you're going into a business deal, there's got to be something in for both people. Um, otherwise, why would we ever do repeat business with each other? So it was, I took on a deliberate strategy, treat people how I'd like to be treated. But you grew up in, in a family that clearly... Um, that was the way of doing I had an awesome upbringing. Um, yeah. My dad's side, a large Māori family. I had a huge extended family. Lots of cousins around the same age. Um, about the only thing that marred my life was deaths within my family. Um, my dad died when I was 12. Um, my favourite auntie and my grandparents. So that's about the only thing negative that ever happened to me was the deaths in our family. But that was a family that told, you know, knew their whakapapa that um, um, on the no, whole, I went hunting you, for you the went whakapapa. hunting, yes, didn't you? Um, I, uh, actually, I'd heard that my grandmother's only surviving sister at the time, um, she'd had a copy of all of her mother's manuscripts, and I rang her up one evening and said, Auntie Eva, could I come down for the weekend and have a look at Nanny's manuscripts? Oh, don't be silly, dear, I'll photocopy them. And she sent everything to me. Uh, so I learnt them, and then I got challenged one day by an auntie. So you think you know the whakapapas, do you? Said, yes. So, well, write them up, show me. So I did. You're now the kaitiaki, and she handed me all of the manuscripts that she had. <laughs> so. <laughs> so even though you say that, you know, um, leadership, mana, whakatipu, is something that you learn... You you had an active interest in um, in knowing who you were. Oh yes, I've always been interested in yeah. Papa. To be honest, that uh, I suppose what piqued my interest the most, my grandfather was telling my auntie off. She had run down a Naitahu family, and I remember what he said to her: "The trouble with you is you don't know who you are. It doesn't matter which Naitahu you run down; you're running yourself down, because we are a tribe of cousins." And I that fascinated me. Yeah. And I used to use it a lot as the chairman of NATO when I'd be asked, you know, what's it like? I said, well, I work for my family. I actually literally work for 68,000 cousins. Yes. <laughs> so, that's, that's, I used to like saying No that. burden, no burden. No. <laughs> yes, yeah, so even though you say that you, you know, you weren't born a leader, but you learnt to be a leader, there was something about you, your interest in your whakapapa, the way that you obviously handled the well, again, people you worked with and there your were outside family. outside influences. Yeah. So um, an elder from outside of my family just rang me up one day, come round to my place, I want to talk to you. And I'd never met the men. So I went round and I believe you're interested in the your family's whakapapas. Yes. Well, I will not give you anything to do with your grandmother's side, but... And he handed me this big stack of whakapapa. Your grandfather's side is in there. Come back when you've found it. Mm-hmm. And he, at the time, was the representative for Kaikoura. Mm. So he brought me into the tribal side. Well, you were given an early um, early responsibility of being in charge <laughs> of the Urupa. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just think that was because I wasn't there when they had the vote. <laughs> my grandmother had died. We'd been ordered. It was the first grave we dug, my generation. Get up there and dig our mother's grave and make sure you do a good job. It's our mother. Um, so we go up to our Urupa, which at the time didn't have a uh, road. You had to climb the hill. Uh, get up the top, and my older brother says, oh, we need water. You go and get water. So down I come. I bring the water back up, get up on the hill, and he comes up to me, hand extended. Congratulations. 
On what? We had a discussion while you're away. You're now in charge of all burials. <laughs> well, don't I get a say? No, you'd have lost. It was unanimous. <laughs> <laughs> now here's your first job going gets done. Thought I was in charge. <laughs> so you know they they obviously recognised that you had. <laughs> no, I wasn't there. You wasn't. You weren't there, but you were the man for the job. And the other, I suppose, responsibility I got when my grandfather died in ninety, sorry, in seventy seven, two uncles asked me to, will I step up and go on to the OROM Incorporation to represent the family? I refused. Two years later, they came to me again. Look, would you just go on for one year? Said, okay. So I agreed. Seventy nine, and ninety seven, I went to one of the uncles, Uncle Bill. Remember when you asked me to go on the Waiwaiim for a year? Yes. Well, that was nineteen seventy nine. It's now nineteen ninety seven. Yes. What's your issue? Well, you said one year. Yeah. And when you reach that year, we'll let you know. <laughs> Well, I'm now on year 44. (laughs) (laughs) They still haven't let me know. Well, you came, um, uh, you know, you took on the leader's role, Kai Whakahari, at Mm -hmm. a really interesting time in Ngāi history. Yes, it was. I mean, I was elected as the chairman on Saturday, the 26th of September, 97. Um, the following Monday, I sat in a lawyer's office in Wellington with Tatipani O'Regan and signed off on some of the settlement papers. The following day, the Act of Parliament went through. So yeah, it was pretty you straight had, onto the firing line. Exactly, onto the pie-pie. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you say that, that, you know, in those early days when you had to be there as the leader and to, and to speak, your... Your no, well, your knowledge of Te Reo was probably good, but your active use no, it of it hopeless. was. Um, but people, you were very supported by other Māori in in that. Yes, yeah. I mean it was my first so-called fight corridor was on that Monday, so the twenty sixth, twenty eighth of uh, September. We had all gone through to Wellington. I'd signed the papers with Tipani. We were gathering outside on the road below Pipitia Marae because we were staying on the Marae. So I'm out on the road. The deputy Kaifakahaiti comes up to me. Oh, Mark Tipani wants you. So I went up and did you want me? Yes, get in the front. Oh, four. You're doing the whaikurero. But I don't speak Māori. <laughs> well, you've got two and a half minutes to learn then, haven't you? <laughs> so... Um, I bumbled my way, and I mean I bumbled my way through a fight corridor. He then says to me, well, that's it for you. Tomorrow we get on the bus, we go up to Parliament, go up into the gallery, watch the passing of the bill. So we get to Parliament the next morning. I go to go off the bus, and he's standing at the steps. And said, See that building over there? Yes, a third floor. It's called the Grand Hall. There's roughly 200 people, four TV channels for the Porphyry for NATO. You're it. But I don't speak Māori. <laughs> Baptism of fire. It certainly was. <laughs> and I made a blunder. I forgot to acknowledge Rangatira from other iwi that had come to support Naito. Afterwards, I went up to them all embarrassed. And one of them was up in Mahuika of Ngātipuro, our uncle. I've just come to apologise for not acknowledging you guys for coming to support Naito. Up he looked at me and said, oh, boy. We could see the two tie running down the back of the legs. <laughs> yes. There is no issue. <laughs> yeah. Brings you back to earth with a thud. Of course. And um, that's been part of 
I mean, you've been very, very involved in making sure all the tribes yep. work together. It's uh, to me, it's always been a bit of a no-brainer. Um, mm. Essentially, we're all trying to do the same things, all iwi. We're all trying to build a capital base. We're all trying to look after the social, cultural issues as they affect our people. Um, we're all trying to protect our respective environment. What I never understood is why are we all doing it in isolation of each other? We've all got the same duties. You know, surely mm -hmm. we should be sharing. So I came up with a proposal in 2005 and formed the Iwi Cheers which was really set up for the iwi chairs to meet four times a year to discuss the macro issues that affected us all to give us better um, intel in making decisions. That's what it was originally set up for. How's it working now, in your still opinion? Still pretty strong. Yeah. Um, Are you still part of no, that? No. No. Uh, because I wouldn't re-stand to represent Kaikoura, it mm. meant that I had to step down as the chairman yes. of Naitohu. Yeah. yeah. That's a whole other yeah. story, so, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've been pretty scrupulous in that since I've stepped down, I've refused to give any interviews on anything to do with NATO. Mm -hmm. It's not fair. It's not no. right. No. You know, it was my decision to step down. I wasn't pushed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've got to let the there's new people there. New people. Yeah. Take a head. Yeah. Take a heads up. Um, so you say you said that the you know the time that you you spent was working for this these sixty odd thousand cousins, <laughs> but that for you it was all about the people, wasn't it? Was all it? About the the, all the all the work that you did. I'm under the personal level. Ultimately, I think everything we do as humans ultimately comes down to the the question, the dispute between the I and the we. I like to believe that I stand firmly in the middle of the we. It's about us, it's our business, it's what we are doing. Um, the other side is the I people, I want, it's my right. The tribe's got to do this for me. Um, I came to the table thinking everyone had the same view as me. I was wrong. Um, we were a table of I and we's. Yes, because you've got a, a <clears throat> thing in here about politics, which yeah. is... Time-wasting rubbish. <laughs> Play the issue, not the person. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think people heard your message while um, you were there? I think it's just part of the human psyche. Um, I've found it no different on Pākehā boards than i found on Māori boards. Mm. You have the same interpersonal dynamics um, on both sides. They're not much different. No, we're human beings. And it's just we are. It's a yeah. human thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I look at the building of Tirunango Naito, I think it was about 160-odd people um, in that group, you've got good people, you've got bad people, you've got the clock watchers, you've got the real hard workers. It's just part of who community is. You've always been good, Naitahu has, at recognising that the best person should do the job, yep. that you don't mind employing Pākehā to do the nope. Siddhashtan, for instance. I think it was one of the best things was, that we did. Yep. Um, and that came about after the passing of the Tirunango Naitahu Act in '96. At that Huiato, the annual general meeting that year, we, the tribal authority, were instructed by the people that for all positions within the new structure, it is the best that applies, regardless of race. Is that so for all the tribal groupings? Um, or do you think Naitahu was first no, to think, uh, do well, that? It's a, combo, it's a mixture. Mm. Um, some like to concentrate on their own. Um, but that was an instruction from the people. Um, and 
basically, you know, Uncle Joe doesn't get the job just because he's Uncle Joe. He's got to he's got to know what he's doing. He's got mm. to have the skills to do the job. Now, I think the and you <clears throat> point out that the real strength in in not just Naitahu but most um, Maori groups is the people in the farikai in the oh, yeah. in the in the kitchen. You know, no one interferes <laughs> but the cooks. <laughs> I had I just to divert. I had this experience many, many years ago. I went to the marae up at Ahipara, and my husband and I knew some of the people um, people who were affiliated with them, and we were we were drawn into the kitchen, and it was beautiful, beautiful weather up there, and we, <coughs> we kept thinking that we needed to be at the beach, and we went to the beach at one stage, and somebody came and said, oh, you need to back in the kitchen. And I hadn't realised until a bit later how privileged we were that we were that we were asked to be part of what was going on in the in the kitchen. It's important, and it, out the back um, for me um, these days, because we've dispersed all over the country, all over the world as a people. Um, about the only thing that brings us home now is tangi, and to me, the tangi has always been a time of rekindling the family connections. Um, it's it brings a strength with it, the tangi. Yeah, yeah, mm. and I think we. Pākehā, I've learned a great deal um, from, yeah, from that, the tangi. You but know. I always find that a fascinating issue because prior to the Second World War, most Europeans brought their dead home. They did, yeah. And then through after the war, it became mm. not the vogue. Yeah. And now for many, they've become frightened of it. But but I, I see more and more. I've brought my dead home, the yeah. dead in my family, and I've learned that from... From observing it's a closure. what you, you do, it's wonderful. You can't dispute. No, and you, know? you and you are able to say goodbye to them right. because you've been with them for those days, and you realise that they've moved on. Yes. <laughs> Oaru is Oaru, yes. is your is your tūranga wai in a sense, isn't it? Well, you've we'll got many of them. Many we'll look of at them. it as home, yeah. but my yeah. actual family from the Kaikoura region is actually from a bay a little bit further south than Oaro called Makanui. That's where we hail from. Mm. Um, the farm that my family has there at Oaro, my great-grandfather won it in a ballot about 1918-1919. So he won a small 250-acre mm. block, which butted up against my great-grandmother, his wife's 256 acre block so they have a 500 acre farm there mm. but that's uh, where dad was born that's where we spent well dad's car only had one direction from Christchurch to Oaro and back to Christchurch <laughs> so every time possible we were up there mm. and mum and dad both always bought even though they built a house in Belfast even mum who's from Dunedin always talked about Oaro's home mm. so it is my home it's my turn. Mm. Mm. Just to finish, it's very clear, and you say it numerous times in here, that books have been and still are hugely important to yeah. you. Do you want to talk about that? Um, well, I put my reading down to Mrs. Cordwell, who was my teacher at Belfast. She ruled with a three-foot ruler, but 
everyone in her class become a prolific reader. My mum and dad were readers, and it almost became like a hierarchy. Dad would buy a book or mum would buy a book. They'd swap it, then it would come down through us. Um, all my dad's side were all readers, and we'd just, I love it. Mm. Um, my kids were a bit naughty, though. They'd get my bank statement, open it up, and highlight all the books I'd bought every month for their mother. <laughs> <laughs> And I love the electronic Kindle because no one knows now how many books I have. Well, you could have worse vices than that. <laughs> Mark, what do you? What are you? What are your favourite types of books um, to anything. read? Anything. I, don't, I mm. just like reading. Mm. Um, people have always said to me, "You know, your job must have been pretty stressful," and I suppose it was to a certain extent. But my biggest saviour is that my way of relaxing is reading. And it's not what I read, it's the action of reading relaxes me. So, And I'm not what you'd call a TV nut, so I don't mind sitting at home reading board papers. And, and what I found so fascinating with the job with Naitahu, and even what I'm doing today, it's not like my previous uh, work where you go to work every day and in a sense do the same thing. Working under Naitahu, I had to develop a working expertise in so many different areas that it was exciting mm. Mm. Um, so yeah it was it was a very it was an amazing job an amazing journey um, at times it was most beautiful role I could have ever done at others it was blind terror um, um, and then the politics came into it at times like I say with politics play the issue not the personalities well, we've we've left all the th- in ma- the work that you're doing now for another time and another book. But um, for all those who've listened and enjoyed listening to Tom Mark talk about his life, you will feel like you're continuing the conversation when you buy this book and read it. The book is called Mana Whakatipu, Naitahu Leader Mark Solomon on Leadership and Life. It's written by Mark Solomon with Mark, Mark Revington. Revington. Yes. <laughs> and it's published by Massey University Press. Namihi. Thank you. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.